This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy, the fisherman, the woodcarver, and the Southern Baptist, who always said the best cure for idle hands is to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a case knife. Hey, you are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. And man, we've got a great show lined up ahead of you here. A great show lined up ahead of you here, coming to you live via the podcast airwaves and the radio waves all over this fine nation. This wonderful-looking group of people you see behind me here fixing to play music for you is the Redwood River Band, everybody. The Redwood River Band. Since I believe 
easy For surely death has lost its sting Because I love my family This portion of our program is brought to you by Visit North Alabama, the Mountain Lakes Tourist Association, visitnorthalabama.org. Travel to visit 16 North Alabama counties and make this state what it is. Festivals, attractions, restaurants, outdoor activities all over the Yellowhammer State. How about Nakalula Falls in Gadsden, Alabama? A 90-foot tall waterfall, the most visited natural attraction in the entire state. Named after a love-stricken Creek Indian princess who plunged her death off this very waterfall in an act of teenage drama that dates way back before Facebook ever existed. Or visit Johnny's Barbecue in Coleman, Alabama, family owned since 1963, the best barbecue chicken, catfish, and more. Once you take a taste of their tender pork, it's so good, you'll ask your mother-in-law to slap you. <laughs> or visit the North Alabama Hallelujah Trail, a trail of 32 churches that are at least 100 years old, white timber frame buildings where a lot of shouting once took place. Once upon a time, historic sites that are still accessible to the public. Whatever you want to do, you can do it better in North Alabama. Look them up at Visit North Alabama or NorthAlabama.org or hashtag VisitNorthAL. And now how about another tune here from the Redwood River Band, everybody.
got the St. James Infirmary Blues I got the St. James Infirmary mail tonight, a little bit of our mail sent to us from listeners all over this fine nation who had nothing better to do than to put pen to paper or to tap out an email or send us a message telling us about their life and about what's going on or maybe asking us to cease and desist under threat of legal representation because they don't like what we have to say or perhaps they just want to update us on things going on in their personal daily life. Our first letter comes from Sandy Baez, Austin Texas. Sean, my mother is a real trooper. She just bought a brand new Cadillac. She grew up poor and she never had a new car before. She always drove crummy cars that were secondhand and smelled weird, but she raised us to value other things besides money, nice cars, and we lived in a mobile home for some of that time too. And it never bothered her. Never once in my life did it bother her. But still, she had always wanted a Cadillac, and I think it's because it's part of her generation's list of very cool things to own. And now that she's almost 80 years old, she has decided she's gonna do it. And so she has. She and my brother went into the dealership last Friday, and she picked out a great Cadillac and bought it outright and now she drives that thing all over and it's the greatest thing in the world to see my mother doing something she loves which is living thanks for reading my letter over there sandy richard birmingham alabama there was a guy on my street growing up who always had a bunch of cats the cats in the neighborhood instinctively knew who he was and seemed to find him. They knew that he'd be kind to them and they knew that they were welcome on his porch and you could always see them hanging out, sunbathing or being in the shade and eating his free food. And several times, some kids would come by and play with a few cats and sometimes these kids wanted to take the cats home and he would send a cat home with them, spayed and neutered, and he would include a litter box and a bag of food and all the things a kid needed to have a cat in his house and to be a responsible cat owner. Anyway, he died last week. I just heard it through the grapevine and I thought that somebody needed to remember him. He was a neat guy a military veteran, we used to hear his war stories on the porch. Just an all-around cool guy to grow up around. Your friend, Richard. Well, rest in peace, Cap Byron, rest in peace. Dale, Dale Millett from Shawnee, Kansas. Dear Sean, my brother is the one who introduced me to your show, and I thought it was pretty good. 
I was a big lover of old-time music when I was younger, and I would even travel to bluegrass festivals to see all the greats perform, and I have seen them. I've seen all the greats. So I love the music that you include on your show because it's hard to find good music these days. That was it. Thanks. Keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening. Dear Dale, thanks for the letter. Thanks for the letter. Steve Still, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Dear Sean, I had a moment while, a while back ago, and it reminded me of you and some of your observations. So here it is. A woman is sitting across from me and has concluded a post-op debriefing with the surgeon that just got through working on her husband. She's a very calm and a peaceful woman. She told me once, she told someone on the phone, I overheard it, how grateful she is that the doc says it's not small cell like it was last time, whatever that means. I let that sink in for a moment. I let it sink in. Because what I'm discovering is that she has the calm of someone who's walked this little path before. And, to be a bit overly dramatic here, has held her husband's hand as they stared down the barrel of eternity. They have stood with one foot on top the step of an earthly existence and wondered where his next step would fall. She is calm. She has seen this before. Maybe she spent all her emotion, dread, and fear when it was small cell, quote unquote. Maybe she has the nerves of iron. Maybe she isn't scared of the outcome at all. We have a lot to learn from this woman who has the bravery of experience. That's it, Sean. That's my letter. Dear Steve, thanks for the letter. And may heaven have mercy on that, that wonderful couple. James Inman, Blackshear, Georgia. With the new school year starting, one of my granddaughters was filling out the usual questionnaires that you have to fill when school is starting out. After the regular questions like phone numbers, addresses, nicknames, and all those things, came the question of race. My beautiful 13-year-old grandbaby is of, is of mixed heritage. And when I looked what she put for race on her sheet, she had written American. How perfect is that from a kid? I now know that my granddaughter is smarter than most grown-ups. Love your work, Sean, and I love this country, and there is more to bind us together than will tear us apart, and your stories help me see that. God bless from another son of the South. Dear James, thank you for that letter from another American, just like your granddaughter. Landry Wares, Chalmette, Louisiana. Last week, our car broke down on the side of the highway, and my son and I were walking to the nearest Walmart to get help or to find someone who, who would let me charge in my phone on their wall or to borrow someone's cell phone and so forth. And it occurred to me how hard we've made this world to live in if you don't have a cell phone or an automobile. There were no sidewalks on the way to Walmart. There was nothing to accommodate a pedestrian. My son and I had to hike along an overgrown shoulder and take our lives into our own hands. And when we finally got to Walmart, 
We discovered there were no payphones, no nothing. I guess the world accommodates those with cell phones these days because nobody even would use a payphone. I don't know. But it occurred to me that the more and more advanced we get, the more and more isolated we make ourselves. I didn't even know what to do in this situation. If this would have happened 20 years ago, I might have. I would have called a pay, or gotten on a payphone and called someone for help. Anyway, I had to charge my phone until it finally turned on. And then I called my wife and I just wish things could go back to the way they were. That's my letter, yours truly. Well, dear Landry, I'd have to agree with every word you said. If there's one lesson that I can uh, glean from your letter, it would be do not break down in civilized America <laughs> under threat of your own life. Belinda Myers, Portsmouth, Virginia. Dear Sean, I know how much you like Andrew Griffith. So I introduced my, children, my grandchildren to the show. When they come to stay with me for the weekends, we watch Andy Griffith, and we laugh at all the jokes between he and Barney. And do you know what? My grandkids love Andy Griffith as much as I ever did. It's great. It's so great to see kids watch Andy Griffith and touch the timelessness of it all. It gives me hope that this world is just not as bad as people say it is sometimes. And you can hear that the world is bad wherever you look. Those news channels on TV, Sean, do nothing to help a perspective of a normal person. When my nine-year-old grandson, Hayden, asked while I was tucking him in, when he asked, why is everybody so happy on the Andy Griffith Show? Sean, I told him flat out. It's simple, because nobody on the show is married. <laughs> it's true, Sean. Have you ever noticed that nobody on the show is married except for the town drunk? <laughs> Thanks for the show that you do, Sean. It means as much to me as the Andy Griffith Show does to my grandkids. I will be listening for our letter on the air, and so will my grandkids. Well, dear Belinda, dear Belinda, I have noticed that, uh, <laughs> that nobody on the show is married except for Otis Campbell. I have noticed that. Uh, to quote the good sheriff in response to your letter, do a good day's work and act like somebody. Patricia Morris, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Sean, it's my birthday this week, and I listen to your show often. Most of the time when you announce birthdays, it's usually because of somebody's loved one who's written to you or told you about something uh, particular or told you about how exceptional their loved one is or something exceptional their loved one has done. Well, I was listening to your show on my back deck. I sit there outside looking at nature and I think to myself when you read these letters just how lucky those people are to have somebody in their life who cares about them, cares enough to write you a letter. But I'm alone. I have been a widow since I was 31 years old, and I'm turning 69 this Wednesday. I've dated a few times since my husband passed, but it never led to anything. And I've just ended up 
alone with just me and my two dogs, two beautiful Yorkshire Terriers. And I'm not gonna fake it and tell you that I don't get, don't get sad sometimes, because I really do. And I get lonely sometimes, especially now that I'm getting closer to 70, and I realize that I will probably never have anyone to love me in the way that a husband loves a wife, to write you a letter asking you to wish me a happy birthday. Don't get me wrong, I'm not sorry for the way my life has gone. I love my life. I love my life not only because it's been beautiful, but because it's made me who I am, whether it was beautiful or not. It made me into a strong person. My friends, the friends I have are deeper than most married people's friends because I have time to invest in these people that married people wouldn't have the kind of time to invest. Did that make any sense? But who's gonna tell Sean of the South that it's my birthday? And who's gonna wish me love and health and happiness? Who is going to tell somebody how much they love me? It's hard living without someone. I feel lonely sometimes and it's, it's hard to get rid of loneliness, even when you're around a room full of people. So I'm telling you about my birthday myself and hoping that you'll announce it. It would mean a lot to me if you did. I'll be looking forward to hearing it while I sit on my back deck. Thanks a lot, Patricia. Well, dear Patricia, dear Patricia, thank you for the letter, and may I say that even though I have no idea what it feels like to be in your shoes, I feel as though we know each other, and I feel as though we're close enough that I can tell you this. You might not have a roommate who is non-canine at least, and you might not have anyone who you can cook supper for or who will cook supper for you. But you are not alone. And I know this because I feel this in a deep, deep way. Furthermore, I know I don't really need to tell you this at all because you know it better than I do. You are almost 70 and life has taught you more than most people on this planet because old age is the ultimate privilege denied to many, many people but it's something that the universe decided to bestow upon you, which is heaven's mercy. Alone? Lord, no. And I don't think you ever could be. So from everybody here tonight, everybody here who you ain't never met before, let's wish Patricia a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Patricia. And that's letters from our listeners. Letters from our listeners. Now let's have another tune here from the Redwood River Band, everybody, the Redwood River Band. When I go to Baltimore, I need no carpet on my floor. Come along and follow me And we'll go down to Galilee Green, green, rocky road 
promenade green Tell me who you love Tell me now who you love Who do you love See that bird up in the sky he don't walk cause he can fly He don't walk and he don't run And he just flies into the sun Green, green, rocky road Promenade green Tell me who you love Tell me now who you love been so extraordinarily hot that people have been wandering around almost dazed and confused because they don't exactly know what to expect from this world. You see, when the summer comes in western Florida, it brings with it an onslaught of unpredictability. That is probably the most identifying characteristic that we have. Our summers go from being sweltering hot to rainstorms that last for a total of five minutes, and then they are washed away from that breeze that comes sweeping off the Gulf of Mexico, and we're, we are put into the, the, the devil's oven where we will bake and bake for the, for the penance of our sins. If you want to know what it's like to live in our part of the world, the first thing you need to do, if you've never been to our part of the world, and I, I know that it's very different up here in Kentucky, is to go get into the shower 
Let that shower saturate your hair, your body, everything. Then get out, put your clothes on, and then jump back into the shower with your clothes on and let that water saturate your body and then get, go to work. That's it. You walk around soaking wet every single day. But we are not without our pleasures because hot weather, even though it does bring us reminiscence of the passages from Revelation when we are to learn about what will happen in, in, when the end of the world finally gets here, we also have the pleasure of the smells that float through the air. And this primary smell that we have in Western Florida that I can smell any place USA and feel like I'm back at home is the smell of rotten eggs. <laughs> we have sulfur content in our water. Whenever the sprinklers start to spray or whenever something, when it rains and the groundwater starts to collect, you can smell rotten eggs wherever you go. Oh, it's a beautiful smell. I went out to Utah a long, long time ago for, for business. And I was out there and it was so dry that my nose was bleeding all the time and people thought that I had gotten into a fight with somebody. Um, when they would see me walking downtown, I'd have this red coming out from my nose and I finally got into this cafe and this lady said, oh, you ain't from here, are you? Yeah, this, this dry air can, can cause the, the blood vessels in your nose to break open and bleed. And I was miserable. I had cracks on my cracks. I was rubbing Carmex on my lips and I was rubbing all sorts of lotions on my bodies because I just couldn't seem to get wet. I'm used to being wet wherever I go. And so I got into the plane and they flew us all back home and I could tell the exact moment when my plane crossed over the Florida border. This is because I could smell it inside the, the, the cockpit or the air cabin. I could smell sulfur. I took one big whiff in. Rotten eggs. Oh, I was starting to get homesick. I love rotten eggs. When they opened up that cabin door and people started walking out, the stewardess said, thank you for flying with us today. I walked out and was greeted by the smells of deviled eggs that are about 10 days too old. And I praise the Lord because I do love my homeland. If there's one thing I love most about my homeland, it's the joy that is found in hating scorpions. People think scorpions are expressly owned by the West in part of the USA. They are not. We have scorpions in my part of the world. We have lots of things in my part of the world. We have wildlife upon wildlife. In fact, where my house is in the woods, our house was built in ceremonial frog mating grounds. That's not something I'm just making up. That's something that when the realtor sold us the lot that our house is built on, it was, it was nothing but woods for miles and miles and miles, just long-leaf pines that stand up straight into the air with these straight purple shafts and these furry tops. And there's miles and miles of, of vines growing up. And we, we live in wetlands, which is a swampy kind of world. It doesn't look swampy until you get out there and walk in it in boots and you realize that you're sunk halfway up into your knees. They filmed Tarzan movies here a long time ago. Not only Tarzan movies, they filmed a movie back in my backyard. 
right here in my backyard that I'm telling you about. They filmed a movie in 1972 called Frogs. Frogs, that was the name. It was filmed right in the Choctahatchee Bay and the bayous and the canals that led around Santa Rosa Beach and, and Eden State Gardens and Freeport, Point Washington, Hawktown Bayou, West Hewitt and Hewitt Bayou and, and Mac Bayou. It was filmed all around here. And it, it was classified as an eco-horror movie. Eco-horror movie. This is a movie that if you look it up on, on, on a, in a dictionary or online, they will tell you. An eco-horror movie is any movie whose thematic plot and main thrust of the storyline is that the main characters get eaten by reptiles. or by lizards or tarantulas. They got toka geckos and lizards with red money bags coming out of the mouth. They got tegus, which is a, basically a lizard from hell. <laughs> They've got alligator turtles. They've got regular snapping turtles, boxing turtles, and gopher turtles. They've got frogs upon frogs upon frogs. They've got cottonmouths, rattlesnakes, copperheads, and last, but not least, they got scorpions. Golly, I can't stand scorpions, and we got them in spades. Sitting out on my porch on a summer night during this season, you will, you will experience all sorts of sensations. The first thing you will experience is you will sweat to, to almost total dehydration. And you will experience slaps from your own hands because we have mosquitoes that are big enough to throw a saddle around and ride all over the USA. These are mosquitoes who are flying all around outside and they're committing a moral axe upon your forehead. <laughs> and we have... We have all sorts of things that are attacking us while we're outside just trying to enjoy our mason jars of sweet tea. And we scream often, but our screams are never heard because we are drowned out by the extra loud sound of the world's largest and loudest frog's singles ball. <laughs> These frogs are croaking to beat the band. Row, 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 row. I've seen people describe the frog sound as ribbit. That ain't right. We got a bullfrog who's about the size of Jabba the Hutt. And this bullfrog sits in our ditch water and he makes a sound that sounds like a bass drum and a tuba. Blah. Blah. <laughs> I worked on that for three days for you. I don't know what you got here in this part of the world, but down there, we got it all. I've been bit just sitting on my porch 14 times by scorpions. And that ain't even counting the times I don't know about in my sleep. My wife and I have been bitten in our sleep several, several times. It's just part of life. You wake up, you got these bites all over you. You know it's either a scorpion or, or, or a tick or a leech or some, something carrying a blood disease. And you just, you learn how to deal with it. Before we go to bed, my wife and I do what's called tick checks. You can do this either with a mirror or with a partner. Uh, tick checks often lead to romantic situations for many people. 
In fact, I'm looking out here, and I can tell you that probably half the people in this audience might owe their very existence to a tick check. <laughs> Scorpions will crawl up out the corners of the house, and they are fearless little suckers. Fearless little suckers. I'll never forget when a scorpion came crawling out of the corner of my bathroom and I wasn't paying attention. I was washing my hands and this sucker crawled right up my arm and into my sleeve and he bit me in a very vulnerable region of my body and because this is a family podcast, I will not mention the body part, but the body part is very, very close to my chest. In fact, it's on my chest. And this body part name rhymes with the word, my nipple. <laughs> this thing bit me right here on this little piece of my body that is not used for any earthly reason. And this thing started to swell up to the size of a baby moon hubcap. And I got so scared and worried about this that my wife drove me to the ER, where I sat in the ER and the woman looked at me, she said, are you having trouble breathing? Or do you have chest pains? I said, well, yes ma'am, I do have a chest pain. She said, you do? Okay, well, let's get you back fast. And so they got me back fast. I didn't tell her that the chest pain I was experiencing was, was a nipple pain. <laughs> they put me back in this little room and I sat on this little vinyl table that they, they make you sit on in the emergency room that's covered in wax paper. I don't, I've been to a lot of doctors. I don't know why they cover these vinyl tables in wax paper. <laughs> and that doctor came in to look at me he said, lift up your shirt. And I lift up my shirt and he looked at me. He said, oh my God. <laughs> this is not something you want to hear your doctor say. And it's even worse when he covers his mouth, which he did. He covered his mouth. He looked at me and then he called in all his night shift buddies. And then they called in the janitors and they called in the people from the cafeteria. And one woman came up and she said, excuse me, sir, I, I ain't never seen nothing like that before. Would you mind if I got, took a selfie in front of that? <laughs> he was a little bit younger than I was. I asked him if I was going to be okay. He said, well, you should be all right. It don't look like anything serious to me. Just ice it real good and try to go to sleep tonight. If it was one of the really bad ones, you'll know in a few hours. I was really starting to worry now. I mean, what's that supposed to mean? One of the really bad ones, as opposed to what? One of the really good ones? And so I left the, the ER, and I was, I was starting to really freak out, and this woman met me at the door, this big, large, angry woman, and she said, not so fast. Let me see that insurance card. I gave her my insurance card. She said, what are you in for? I said, I got bit by a scorpion. She said, where did he bite you? I said, you don't want to know. She said, no, I, I've been bit by scorpions plenty. Where did it bite you? I said, well, it might be something that, that is more easily communicated uh, upon a visual representation. So I lifted up my shirt and I showed her the aforementioned nipple. <laughs> we also have a lot of other kinds of wildlife uh, things floating around our, our world. 
When it rains, our puddles rise from our ditches and they flood our driveway and they flood our gravel road. And you can come driving down from, from going shopping in town or something and you'll see water moccasins swerving and swiveling all over our gravel, just going in and out like these little death shapes floating around. And, and that's because the water is, is, is brought them up. And, and we also have the sounds at nighttime when it gets really, really hot, you'll hear out in the yard. And that is a rattlesnake, probably a baby rattlesnake. I have looked out my backyard and I have seen, this is the dead, God's honest truth. I have seen panthers and bobcats. There is something called the Florida panther, which is a very almost extinct species that many people have never even seen. And I have seen that sucker in my backyard. He was about the size of a billy goat with a tail that was as long as a broomstick. And he was running through the yard. And I know he was running through the yard because he was chasing me. And I was carrying my Labrador in my arms saying, Mother of God, save me. And I got to my porch and I slammed the door and I looked into the night and I could not see him because his fur was so black. They were probably out there, these bobcats and panthers, chasing raccoons because we also have a load of raccoons. We have raccoons by the millions. We got one particular raccoon who comes out and hangs on our porch. Uh, and he's here so often eating our cat food. Our cats have food bowls on the porch. He's eating our food so often that we, f we have to fill that bowl up four or five times per day with cat food. Truth be told, I don't have a problem with this raccoon. I've even given him a name, which is Ricky, Ricky Raccoon. And I don't mind feeding Ricky Raccoon or his brothers, Richard, Randy, and Robert. But my dog loves these raccoons. My dog's a bloodhound. The bloodhounds are wired, they're, they're bred to love raccoons. They will sit at your door, I have a glass door, looking out into the, into the night, and they will see these two little, little glowing eyeballs looking at them. And these raccoons are fierce because they've, they've been around mankind for years, ever since they started filming eco-horror films in our area. So they don't, they don't worry when a human looks at them or even approaches them. They're not scared. In fact, I have approached a raccoon who was digging through my garbage once, and he just waved at me because they use their hands. It's fun to watch them eat because they'll wash their food in a little water bowl, and they'll wash the hands, and they'll, they'll bring it up to their, their mouth. In fact, many of these raccoons are better behaved than most fundamentalists, I know. And my dog will sit there at that window on my door and she'll look out there and she'll howl, she'll howl like a bloodhound does. I ain't love nothing more than the sound of a bloodhound. I've owned two bloodhounds in my day and both bloodhounds were just crazy about raccoons. In fact, this is why I bought them. I had this frustrated dream that I would go coon hunting with my dogs, just like the men of old used to do. They'd attach them carbide lanterns onto their the hats, our ancestors, and run through the woods listening to them dogs tree a coon. My other dog, Otis, Otis Campbell, he loves lizards almost more than anything else. I'll never forget seeing him attack a lizard just a few days ago. He attacks a lizard uh, with predatory instincts that cause him to want to kill this lizard by licking it to death. He's not the sharpest stick in the box, 
and he will charge that lizard and lick that lizard. And the thing is, his tongue is twice the size of that lizard. So when he licks the lizard, the lizard will flip over onto its back and then he will climb back to his feet and be momentarily stunned for a moment. And then he'll scurry away and climb onto a vertical surface and stare me in the face with this look of moral disapproval as though he is saying, what kind of sick man lets his dog lick a lizard and watches? But it's the, it's the raccoons and the frogs and scorpions that keep us grounded and help us to remember that this world loves us in a way that, that is almost unhealthy. We are really just members of a food chain. Where we land on that food chain sometimes remains to be seen, but it is nice to have these sorts of reminders that makes a man feel small. When my dog was barking a few nights ago at the glass window, she was barking at this raccoon, Ricky. I decided I'd get out there and scare Ricky away. I decided I'd get out there and just, just get him off the porch. My wife and I were sitting on the, por- on the couch and we were trying to watch TV. In fact, at the time we were trying to have some good clean fun watching an eco-horror movie. So I went and I got this broom, big old broomstick, and I ran out into the porch and I started just swinging this broomstick out, out and about, saying, get out here, get out here, to the, to the Ricky Raccoon and his brothers, Richard, Randy, Roger, and, and whoever else. <laughs> and while I was holding that broom above my head, and I felt something drop from the, from the bristles of the broom, it dropped onto my shoulder Uh, across my shoulder and into my collar and down my chest. I could feel him getting all up in my stride. And then he roamed around looking for an opportunistic place to take a bite. And then he crawled around and he bit me, and this is a family podcast, I won't say the word, but he bit me in a place that rhymes with butt. And he took a chunk and I threw off my clothes in the middle of my front yard and I ran inside screaming bloody murder to beat the band. My wife got up from the couch. She said, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, he bit me. He bit me. She came into the bathroom. She looked at the place where the good Lord split me. (laughs) She was eye to eye with it and she said, Oh, my Lord, I hope it wasn't one of the really bad ones. Hey, thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich. And man, it's been a bona fide pleasure if I do say so myself. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best way to cure idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. And by Folklore Brewing and Meadry, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingAndMeadry.com to find out more. That music here reminded me today was the old-time acoustic trio of the Red Wood River Band, based in Leeds, England. These guys aren't just good, they're internationally good. 
Go look them up on Google at Redwood River Band today and download their new album. You will not regret it. To find out anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouthShow.com and there you can find archived episodes dating back to our first episode all the way to this episode, which you just heard, though I don't know why. You must have terrible taste in podcasts. And while you're there, I hope to take the time to drop me a line. Tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, and potluck socials. And I do my best to read them over there for my friends because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends... Wherever you go, there you are. And wherever you've been, there you will never be again. Adios. Adios.